This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are joined by special guest Kate Schmidgall, the founder and director of Bittersweet Creative and the founder and editor of Bittersweet Monthly. In 2014, she was named Young Entrepreneur of the Year by the DC Chamber of Commerce. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. One of my favorite people, oh. Kate and Dave, have been just wonderful, amazing friends, so... So excited to get you on the podcast, Kate. It's good to have you here. How about you talk about any other things you would add to the introduction that we gave you, the finer things of life and family. And when I say family, one of the things I love about visiting you is every time I have visited you in D.C., you have this big extended family with, like you've intentionally lived in an area where you could open up your home to a neighborhood that needs more beautiful hospitality and homes so your family is even, not that you have to talk about their names and identities, but like your family. Tell us about your family and, and all of the finer things of life, Kate. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a true honor. I first and foremost want to mention that I'm married to my beloved partner, Dave, who uh, has been pastoring at National Community Church, the Lincoln Theater campus. And that is definitely a big part of our family, the community through the church. And then our neighborhood is is also very much our family. And you mentioned a few youth. We have um, mostly been adopted by a group of about 12 uh, young men <laughs> who um, we met because we were fostering at the time. And the kids that we had with us were out playing and met the kids in the neighborhood. And that began sort of this auntie and uncle uh, situation for Dave and I and a lot of the young people on our blocks, um, none of whom, well, I should say most of whom do not have never known their fathers or don't have strong male presences in their lives. So this is um, very much how we give the extra love that we have. We don't have kids of our own, nor do we have pets. So we have a lot of extra love, um, which besides plants is... Uh, going to these kids. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. It's been a great thing to be able to watch and see and experience. Like it's just your your home is a very special place on a very, very short list for me personally. Just a great, I feel like your, your guys' uh, radio, spiritual radio is tuned into the same frequency as mine. And um, it's just a wonderful place of I say that, and I know that you're getting a much stronger signal of that Holy Spirit radio than I am. But nevertheless, it's been such a beautiful place of rest for me, and I'm very thankful for that. But what a wonderful place there in a corner of our fine country here. Okay, so I feel like there's a whole lot of history in what was just said. So maybe, Kate, you can uh, tell me a little bit about how you know Marty or Bama or whatever and how that all came together, because apparently this is a very uh, special relationship. It is. It is. And Marty, it's an honor. Uh, every time you come, Marty's well-loved in D.C., and Bama has been part of the teaching at our church at the Lincoln Theater, specifically um, for many years, actually. Dave and I have been listening along for a few years and then hosted a group just prior to COVID of about 40 people who came to our house every week to listen and discuss. Uh, and that is one of the joys that COVID stole from us. Um, but then it continued past that in smaller groups virtually. A lot of the people kept listening, including myself, with a Bible study with my mom every Sunday. 
Um, but we've hosted Marty a few times, and I know much of the congregation listens regularly. So we've been been students for quite some time and really appreciate always the authentic curiosity and sincere questions that both of you bring to the text. I think in our journey of learning to ask better questions, Bema has absolutely been vital uh, and a, an important teacher for us. So um, thank you. Yeah, I can remember getting the uh, first email from from Dave and uh, Kate's husband. I remember I was in Salt Lake City and I got this, yeah, I was just kind of, I was in between meetings. I was obviously on a work trip. I was answering some emails, got this email from this guy in DC at National Community. And I'm like, man, isn't that Mark Batterson's church? I've kind of like watched Mark from afar and read his books and appreciated a lot of things here and there that, and I was like, man, that's, and they're like, yeah, we love Ray and we've found your stuff and we'd love to have you come out and meet our people. And I didn't know what that would what that email would kind of begin. And I, I literally sent a reply, like, I would love to visit DC, meet everybody. That would be great. Uh, shut my iPad because I had an appointment showing up. And in Salt Lake City, and this person was like, I'm in town. I'm not from here. I'm from DC. Um, and I'm just in Salt And so they showed up like five, 10 minutes later, sat down. It was Paul. I won't give full names here, but you, uh, Kate knows Paul. And he said, I'm from this church. And I'm like, wait, do you know Dave Smigal? And, and he's like, of course I do. I said, I just sent an email to Dave. It was just the most serendipitous uh, interaction in a Starbucks in Salt Lake City. It was fantastic. So that was the beginning of just what would become a really, really special, meaningful friendship. So Short list of folks right there, but I try to make sure I make it to D.C. once or twice a year because it's not just a fun place to be. It's just a very spiritually renewing place for me. So I thank you. No matter how much you thank me, I thank you back. So there you go. <laughs> spiritually renewing is not something you often hear people say about Washington, D.C., so that that means a lot, and I appreciate that <laughs> you see it. Honestly, there is there is so much about all of it that it's just a beautiful, holy surprise, like— so much about your faith community there at National Community Church, the Lincoln campus, you guys, the other friends that you've connected me with. It's such a, it is a truly sacred, holy surprise. Everything that's happened there, uh, just been beautifully stunning and I've loved it. So, all right, I suppose we could get into it. Kate, can you tell us about Bittersweet? You lead this thing called Bittersweet. Tell us what it is and what Bittersweet is attempting to accomplish. Like, what is it that you guys are here doing in the world? Tell us more. Yeah, Bittersweet is first and foremost a community of creatives. And we work on a couple of things. The first is a counter narrative that we publish on a monthly basis. Uh, that's at bittersweetmonthly.com. And I can talk more about that. The second is uh, a creative agency. We do work for clients professionally, and that's how everything is sustained financially. So it's it's two parts in that sense, a nonprofit and a for-profit working together, um, fundamentally to tell the story of God in the world, and also to publish an orienting narrative that rejects cynicism, defies apathy, and celebrates good. We um, really are trying to study, I would say, the the sacred in the streets and what it means, like how we see God with us every day, everywhere. Um, 
This is sort of the more excellent way that Walter Brueggemann speaks about, of course, echoing 1 Corinthians 12, that Paul says also. Um, and so this narrative work is a collaboration of volunteers who are seeking kingdom in the world around us and using our professional skills and gifts to do it. Man, it felt like such an attacking statement for me. Fighting cynicism, like you did like a profile of who I am, fighting cynicism. Uh, and that's what I found it such a beautiful, it's so refreshing because that's where I think my spirit is tempted to to go. Like it's so easy to become a cynic, especially now. Um, and that's even after you guys started the work of Bittersweet. There's so much in the world that would tempt us to, but you're, you're at war against cynicism. I love that. I love that. And uh, it's been so good. Do you find... Uh, I'm just stealing. I'm sorry, Brent. I'm just stealing your question. Um, do you find <laughs> it's fine. with yourself? That's what I do. It's what I do at Bama. I talk over Brent. Um, do you find yourself, Kate? Is it easy for you to be? Can you feel the pull towards cynicism? Is this project like a discipline for yourself fighting that? Or tell me more about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think that cynicism is one of the great temptations of our day. I'm not sure I know a single person who hasn't fallen into it or wrestle with it still on a regular basis because the popular narrative is one of despair and confusion or nihilism and meaninglessness or self-centeredness. That's mostly what we're fed through more popular channels. And I felt myself paralyzed and overwhelmed by the range of issues that I was confronted with on a regular basis and needed to see where is this living, loving God that we believe in? Where is kingdom concretely in the world? How do I see God at work in anti-trafficking or human slavery or poverty, violence, war, disease? Pick one. We are more informed than ever before. We are bombarded every day with glimpses of these realities. And frankly, I just started to feel like it was a bit of an injustice. It was really difficult to maintain honest, authentic, uh, wholehearted faith and not press into those issues and understand how God is with us in those things. Excuse me while I feel convicted for a moment. Um, (laughs) Man, what a beautiful, a beautiful mission. I love that. And I, I just wonder, like, I have, I, I try to, I try to see things with a good eye. I try to be optimistic about things, but, um, I definitely have spaces where I'm more cynical than others. And hopefully those don't bleed out, um, in an inappropriate way. Hopefully, you know, I'm in the right type of community to process through that stuff and then come out in the world with, um, with a better view. But Yeah, man. It's just hard, Brent, I think. Sorry to interrupt. It's hard, I think, when our hope seems so abstract and the harsher realities are so concrete. So Mm. Mm. that's in part the task. I think the, the discipline or the practice, Marty, as you said, is to be in the concrete material world and be able to articulate hope there. That's tactile, tangible, fleshy like Jesus was and like Jesus did, honestly. Yeah, I love that because Bittersweet uh, takes the abstract and makes it more concrete. Like all of a sudden you're seeing practical, literal, concrete work that people are doing uh, 
stories being told. Because sometimes it's easy in the midst of our cynicism to think, oh, yes, the hope and the resurrection and all that stuff, it is just abstract. It only exists in this other ethereal, temporal, abstract, transcendent, and what the work that you and, and others do just points out like, nope, it's actually right here. You you do have to like train yourself to see it, but uh, to phrase it in the words of another, it's a, a new creation bursting forth right in the midst of this one. But it's, it's as concrete as any of the evil that might make us uh, cynics any day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kingdom is bursting forth. It's here and now, uh, and we can learn to see it. And then we have choices to make about the narratives that we perpetuate. Are we feeding into the machine of despair and and, uh, meaninglessness or fatigue or confusion? Or are we practicing, you know, building a different narrative and living like we believe there's a living, loving God? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think back to our John 5 episode uh, with the the man at the pool and Jesus says, do you want to get well? And after decades of sitting there, he has lost all of his hope and like does not recognize that something is about to happen. (sighs) Yeah, man. I just love that. Um, Okay. So let's, let's pull back a little bit. So you have the, so you have this interesting nonprofit for profit dual organization thing. If I'm understanding it correctly, uh, Bittersweet Monthly is the nonprofit side. Bittersweet Creative is the for-profit side. And then the Bittersweet Foundation is the overarching umbrella. Is that right? Of Bittersweet Monthly. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about how you came to that business model. Um, what What is the experience like of operating in that way? Uh, it seems unusual. Maybe it's not as unusual as I think it is, but it it seems like an interesting way to approach it. So, how did you how did you come to that, and what is uh, how does that work? I guess. Yeah, you know, the nonprofit model has always been a little confusing to me because, in my mind, nonprofits are the most for profit of anyone. They need there to be so much profit, and for it to be so well managed that there's enough to go around that we can get a piece of it, and that seems like a very dependent. Um, needy setup, I suppose, where someone with a conviction or a mission then becomes a full-time fundraiser in order to get other people to believe and give. And that's that's difficult if you're trying to devote more of your time to the mission of the work and not the fundraising side of it. So starting a company seemed like the most efficient way to fund what I felt called to. That's really, at the end of the day, why I started a creative agency. Secondly, just for context... I started Bittersweet in 2009. In 2008, Dave and I had just returned to the States after two years as missionaries. It was our first two years married, actually. And because we raised support for all that time, I didn't think there was a viable way for me to continue raising support to fund a story operation that, frankly, I had a hard time communicating why storytelling was important at all (laughs) or what this would look like. So again, just what I know how to do is work. And if I could work hard enough to fund the calling, then it seemed efficient and wise. That said, uh, I don't want to make it sound too easy that it was incredibly difficult. And um, several years ago, we actually started hosting a pitch night as well, where uh, a 
about a dozen to 15 core supporters came around and started participating with us in underwriting some of the budgets and um, helping get the particular stories told. That has been a little bit um, less necessary during COVID because we haven't traveled and had some of the hard costs associated with storytelling. But um, still, I need to give a shout out to all those who have been walking alongside us side by side and investing in these stories for the past several years. Good golly. Well, I'm going to ignore even more conviction already um, as a nonprofit fundraiser. I do love that what you did was you took this situation and as a creative, like not even like before you're even galvanizing and, 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 and harnessing the creative work of so many other creatives, you even use that same creative urge and sense to go, okay, what's a, what's a, what's another way to do this? How can I be about the same stuff and without having to use the same old models that for a whole list of reasons don't work and you just forged like this new reality and you were like, well, I'm, I'm going to create box number C. Thank you very much. And I'm, I'm aware you're not the first person to ever come up with that idea, but I love watching it work with other in other ways and another, that's just such a a cool part. And it does, it, it changes the dynamics of the conversation. It changes what you're able to do, what you're able to focus on the dance that you either have to do in a for-profit world or a purely nonprofit world. You've changed that dance to where it's not nearly as awkward um, to be a faith-based profit for-profit or a nonprofit fundraiser. You have reordered how that operates and that that's really fun to to watch that's that's very it, it is it's, it is convicting as somebody who lives in a world of fundraising i understand what you're talking about which is why i'm just going to keep on moving to the next question there we go so um what is your greatest challenge in that nobody caught i don't know if we may caught that joke but i don't want to talk about uncomfortable things brent <laughs> we do enough of that we do enough of that i'm here to interview that's what i'm here to do uh kate thank you thank you for saying things always in a way that's um beautiful and convicting and challenging and invites us to think new things so um in light of that what's the greatest challenge in your work tell us about or and or what's your greatest reward and and or joy like what are the hardest things about what you do at bittersweet and what are the best things about what you do at bittersweet Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the challenges are definitely around churn, just the churn of a regular production or a regular publication. It's nonstop and, and very concurrent. And also everyone who contributes their time and talent to the Bittersweet Monthly counter-narrative volunteers their that time. So right. it's a collaboration of conviction, really, which means that we're constantly doing a little bit extra Um so the pace of it is difficult. And then with COVID, obviously, traveling became mm. uh, a non-starter. And so that has been difficult over the past couple of years. But even within that, as we get back to storytelling and visiting um, organizations and listening to people's stories deeply, it just has reminded me how profound of an experience it is to sit and listen to people's stories um, whose lives are not like my own and how expanding that is, um, and then how profoundly humbling and challenging, refining it is to to steward that person's story with honor and respect, and also apply your creative craft or or your artistic lens to it, and hope that it carries their story in the way that they would want it to be carried. 
it's it's incredibly rewarding in that front because it, it's like we're participating in, in some sort of solidarity through story and storytelling and lending what we have to another person's desire to be seen and to be heard. And um, that will never, never get tired. I don't think of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of those things that you, one of those stories that you did steward was a conversation that we shared. So one of the things we do on our social media platforms on a, I, I try to always share something once a week, something we might call it marinate Monday or some kind of helpful thought provoking nugget or article or video or book recommendation, something that just kind of helps the conversation, stimulate the conversation. And there was a while there where we were sharing a series that Bittersweet did. It was a six-part series. I'm sure Brent can find part one and link it in the show notes to the episode. And and then you just follow that through six parts. And just this thought-provoking time really that started with this this work you had done with Walter Brueggemann, which anybody that's been with Baymon knows how much we love, I personally love anything from Brueggemann, his thought process and everything. It's just so fantastic and so filled with the spirit of what we're trying to do at Bayma. Um, and so I, I was captivated by that. We got, we got a ton of positive feedback from that series. People really enjoyed the reflections, how they were packaged. I, I really enjoyed it. It was very thought provoking for me. Um, where did that project what did that project come out of? What was your experience with that? Has that project, is that just like an, another normal day at the bittersweet office? Is that, was that project something special? Has it continued to do anything? That's, that's one project that probably our listeners, if they've bumped into bittersweet, it was that uh, little bit that we shared. Tell me more about that project in and of itself, Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that project started in 2017 when film director Elliot Rausch sent me a book called Another Kingdom by Walter Brueggemann, John McKnight, and Peter Block. It's essentially a critique of the empire world that we find ourselves in, this consumeristic culture that's based on extraction, exploitation, greed, um, fundamentally the narrative of not enough. You are never enough and what you need is more. And he posits an alternative way, one that a mindset that's based not on scarcity, but on abundance, uh, that functions not with competition, but with neighborliness, not based on consumerism, but covenantalism. And so this contrast was really the meat of what was meant to be a feature length doc. Uh, I had written up like the full outline for the doc, and we just decided to reach out to Walter as a first voice and get that in the can and then go from there. Um, and so we filmed that in late 2017, over two days in Cincinnati. Uh, we put uh, Walter in an 88 Oldsmobile parked outside of an abandoned mall in Cincinnati and recorded in the simplest way um, a very long conversation with wisdom. And he, as an Old Testament scholar, was able to connect some dots and weave some narrative, like connect our story today to the ancient stories of the Bible. And I found it profound and transformative, but honestly, we weren't done. That was meant to be 10% of a longer thing. And so it just sat on a shelf for a long time, for a couple of years. I thought that it would help me raise money, but it turns out um, that People with money are not usually interested in critiquing the empire, so uh, that didn't go very well. And then, <laughs> there's a zinger for you. Yeah. <laughs> when COVID 
hit and we couldn't travel and tell the stories we were used to telling. We had to look within and on the shelf and and there this footage was. And so we resurfaced it and Brandon Bray and I collaborated deeply over many months to put together that six-part series. And it's it seems like it's it was timely and um, incisive for that moment that we were in. And, and I hope it, it holds true for, for many years to come. Yeah, it felt... Uh... It just that the 88 Oldsmobile really grabbed me from the beginning, first of all, because it's like a really weird setting for a for an interview, uh, but also because it's more or less the first car that I drove. So <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, I recognize that car. But how did like how did you um, I mean, I guess you just reached out to him and he was willing to to talk. Uh, but how did you like decide like that was the setting that you were going to do like? Why not? Why not just you know in his living room or something? Because I, I feel like that the visual aspect of that was so unique that it it drew me in before the conversation even started. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it was very effective. Yeah, yeah. I have to give full credit there to Elliot as the director. That was his intuition and and vision. Uh, and I th- I think that part of why it was so right was that. Here we have wisdom calling aloud in the streets. Here we have truth spoken in a very unlikely place that we may not ever look or expect to find it. Um, Also, much of what Walter teaches us is about how this commercialization of every aspect of our lives has perhaps hollowed us out in some ways that we need to pay attention to. So the, the backdrop of the abandoned mall becomes poetic in that sense. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, choice. Uh, just to, the whole thing was designed just super well. Like, even without, like, I'm no amazing artist that does a great job of critiquing some of those intuitive, but you just feel it. And you'll, I was like, oh, this is, this is so, there's something about sitting in an Oldsmobile with Walter Brueggemann that feels so appropriate to, yeah, just, it was like, there was almost a sense of like, not secrecy, but like, hey, this is all around us, but we have to pull away enough that we can actually talk and think about this. And we could do it in a Lamborghini and it just wouldn't feel quite it right. So let's grab an 80s Oldsmobile and do it there. Like, it, it was, that was just so uh, things that I can't even articulate well, but I loved it from the opening scene. As it drives across the bridge, I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm in through the hazy fog. What's funny is I actually ended up having to buy that car in order to use it. <laughs> so I bought it and then sold it to my brother after the shoot. Oh man. Hopefully you could have gotten like, way more money out of me. If you would have just hung on to it and told me Walter Brueggemann sat there and talked about the kingdom. I've been like, <laughs> give me a price. It's mine. That's amazing. I should have. Oh uh, goodness. <laughs> you know, there's also, so, well, sorry, Brent, just one other thing I would say about that. I think it's, it's hard to create content in a world that is so noisy and not feel like you're just adding to the problem. I'm sure that you can feel this in some ways. So the question is, what can we create that's truly nourishing, edifying, orienting, hope building? Yes. Um, that helps us live more faithfully. And that is part of why we didn't want to do fast cuts and a lot of B-roll, things that you might expect from a film. Yep. Um, because this is not entertainment. This is teach me how to live. I want to be faithful. Yeah, it can't be tinny or shallow. Like it can't be glossy. Like we're going to talk about hope because the world is so cynical. Like it's you, the work that I've ever seen you guys do has depth. It's not, it's not a glossy, like we're going to 
kind of like lay this over the chaos. It's that we're going to get into the middle of the chaos and find we're going to find the daisy growing in the cracks of the concrete sidewalk. We're going to that's that's part of what makes it so effective is it's not the B-roll. It's not the expected. It's it it's not fighting cynicism by ignoring. It is fighting cynicism by being honest and very present and direct. And that is very beautiful and powerful. I appreciate that, Marty. Thank you. So on the idea of the depth of the Walter Bergman story that you told, like you've been doing this for years, gathering these stories, telling these stories that um, I think on an individual basis for us as viewers are like really refreshing and life-giving but you're exposed to that all the time. You live and breathe it. Like, is that, is that exhausting? Do you have to like numb yourself to it sometimes? Like what is, what is your own internal process going through all of these stories and, and gathering them and finding new stories? And um, yeah, just tell me what, what life is like for Kate in that regard. Well, honestly, Brent, I feel like the overwhelm and the paralysis uh, that comes from my own feeling, you know, ignorant to the harsh realities and the big issues that end up in my feed every day, that's far more exhausting than pressing in and then being Mm -hmm. in to understand and have handles for how to participate Mm -hmm. in restorative and redemptive work. Knowing that it's happening, I don't have to be so bombarded or deluged by it. I actually have agency to understand and participate and therefore to worship more fully because I have a picture of God with us that is in my concrete material world through people. And so it also teaches us how to live. Um, So no, I actually find the story work, the seeking uh, of kingdom and story to be energizing and filling of my soul and my spirit. And without it, I feel often uh, narrow, (laughs) I guess, or and become, and I felt that way in COVID with the isolation. It was like the first time I could sit with another person and just be hit like a wave with the the difference of their lived experience to mine and feel so refreshed by the infinite goodness of God that knows everything about them and everything about me. And my world just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. My heart gets enlarged by studying God and others. So I would say it actually has the opposite effect and that maybe that's paradoxical, but um, it's kind of it's just been my experience that it's energizing and not exhausting. Well, I would say the kingdom is paradoxical. So that's, that probably fits well with, uh, with the general idea of things. So that's, that's great. Yeah. It feels very, uh, good eye, bad eye. We talk about in session three, the rabbinical idea of having a good eye, a generous eye that gives light to the rest of the body versus that cynical eye, the bad eye, the evil eye. And how great is that darkness? And I hear a lot of those echoes and in in what you're you're sharing there. Um, and I, it reminds me of I'm going to quote Rob Bell here, everybody. So brace yourselves. But Rob used to say um, he would talk about people that come up and they they kind of gripped by their cynicism, and he would tell stories of the beautiful, like these moments where kingdom breaks through. And one of the lines he says is is You've seen that, and I, I can, you know, referring to the negative, like you've seen all that negative and that, but I've seen this. And so 
what what do we do with that? You've seen that and I've seen this. So now what? And like you said, you have this agency to pick and choose like, okay, which story wins the day? Like which story comes out on top? Which story has more? Which story is more compelling? Which story has more power to stir something inside of us and awaken that thing that we call hope or resurrection? The, the cynicism or the beauty? And uh, man, that's, that's just such a, a great point. Um, when you think about that, maybe it's even related to my next question. What have you learned, Kate, when through, through all the work that you do with Bittersweet and maybe even, maybe even before, but like the journey you've been on and the journey you're in now, what have you seen through your work that you wish everybody could see and understand as it relates to humanity and the kingdom of God? Is it, is it similar to the things we've been sharing and talking about? Is there something that you would add to that? What is, what is it that you wish if you could take, if you could have this magical staples, easy button, the spiritual staples, easy button, you could just hit it and everybody understood what would that thing be that you wish you could just open everyone's eyes to in the snap of a snap of your fingers. Yeah. I would, I would love to see everyone um, have a fresh revelation of what it means for the, for the spirit of the resurrected Christ to be living in them. And therefore the gospel is still unfolding in us and around us all the time. Seeking the kingdom takes great intention, but when you do that, when you learn to see God in others and every other and the kingdom in your neighborhood, it is very freeing and a source of great joy and um, connects us to meaning in sort of a covenantal body of, of humans. <laughs> so I hope that you are... Um, refreshed with that conviction and brought to life by the possibility of studying the gospel as it unfolds in your world, and that you might practice seeing differently and freshly, newly, and then try to put words to that in a way that builds others as well. What is, um, what is maybe a, a story that, um, that you haven't told through Bittersweet that like got you into this whole mindset? Hmm. Like what, what was, what was the like inciting moment where you're like, okay, this is because you talked about like, oh, you wanted, you had these convictions. And so you, you started the for-profit side of things. So you could, so you could follow out this mission. Like what, what like drove you to do that? Like, what was the story that you, that you found? And you're like, oh, I need to tell stories like this. Mm. There was actually one particular moment uh, when I was very young, pre-college, like 18, and at a missions week at our home church. And uh, there, I remember, I don't remember much about anything else, except that there was this moment where a missionary had traveled across the world, the whole half the world. He'd come a great distance at great expense to stand in front of a crowd and present about the powerful work of God in his context. And it was the worst presentation I have ever seen. And I felt this injustice sort of rise up that says, we have got to do a better job telling the story of God. This should not be the best we can come up with. He needs to be doing the work in that context. Let's keep that going. But but where are those whose call is actual storytelling in a way that honors the work of God and his presence in the world and, and not expecting people who are not, um, you know, 
frankly, desiring to be on in, in a storytelling capacity to, to expect that of them. So that is pretty much how I chose a journalism major and made my way into the student newspaper world and then into creative services. And um, that's really the driving question uh, that's with me now. There's got to be a better way to tell the story of what God is doing around the world. And where are the creatives and how can we bring them to life by doing the seeking, speaking work that is ours uniquely to do as artists? Man, what a relational covenantal response to that, even as a young person. Uh, I I have sat through many of those presentations too, and all I did was critique the presenter for, and yet you saw it as this larger not just an individual sitting in front of a room, but like there, there are many of us here and somebody like we all need to be working together so that somebody covers that, you know, co- covers, covers that because that's their gift. And uh, that's, that's convicting just in a vacuum by itself. <laughs> that'll, that'll preach. Um, What are your dreams, Kate? And you kind of, we've kind of been, like, I guess I'm asking the same question about a million times over, so my apologies for that. But what are your dreams you have for, whether it's bittersweet or the kingdom of God or just your corner of the kingdom or the kingdom universal, go as big or as small as you want to with that. But what are your biggest dreams for the kingdom of God and 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 what, uh, golly, I don't know. So, okay, here's full disclosure. I'm going to break in with this thing. So Kate gave me this book the last time we were together. Uh, you can put this in the show notes, Brent. Um, it's Breaking Ground. It was edited by Ann Snyder and Susanna, Susanna Black. Black. Yep. And it's a collection of essays. Um, and uh, and usually, like, I, I'll get books like that, a collection of essay books. And I'm like, okay. I wasn't, like, entirely optimistic, true spirit of a cynic. And I, and, but, man, these are, like, so... Yeah, they're so captivating. They're energizing. Um, they're from all kinds of different practices, disciplines, vocations. Um, they're they're from conservatives and liberals, and everything is thinking in this unique way about a different kind of conversation. Like every essay, like I'm not reading a single essay where I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get this. Like, oh, I, I see where this is coming from. I see where this is going. It's like every essay is like fresh and. Like there's this thing like uh, every morning, like I'm reading four essays a morning and every morning I'm walking away from this study like, oh goodness, I can see the world. It's, it's, I don't even know what I would call it. It's like, uh, it's a little, it's a little dream ignition. Um, and so I, I think that's the question on my brain for you mm-hmm. and you're responsible for it because you gave me the book. Um, but uh, what, what are your, what are your dreams and what do you see happening? Because apparently there are people out there that even in the midst of a pandemic, they, they're they still dreaming and they're still seeing, they're still saying there's a new way to see things. And how about you, Kate? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still people creating. And it's this is with a world that seems hell bent on destroying itself. To create within that environment is really something profound and sacred. And so we celebrate that and want to participate in it. Um, Breaking Ground is a partner of Bittersweet and has been a wonderful collaborator for us. And if you like that, Marty, then I would also just plug quickly Comet Magazine, which is the more quarterly version of that book. But 
When it comes to books, Bittersweet is beginning to publish books. We're going to publish our first, Practice Flourishing, by Dr. Andrew DeCourt later this year, along with a children's book series called Journey Books, named for my goddaughter, whose name is Journey, Mm. to help children uh, be expanded into this other-centered, self-giving love way um, and get them sort of infused and inspired with those convictions at an early age and teach that covenantal neighborliness. So those are big things. Um, at our core, we are graduating Bittersweet Monthly from a an online magazine to a full-on media house. And so in the coming years, you'll see feature films and more podcasts, music, books, gatherings, etc. Because I think the narrative is... Um, is building, the community is growing, and uh, this is the time that we need to be producing, orienting, hope-building content for people to live faithfully. I love the uh, children's idea. Probably one of the most common questions we get emailed is, how do we help our kids with all of this? Um, right. With how we read the better readings of the Bible, living out the kingdom. How, how do we... And so I, I love that there are resources out there that we're uh, creating, we're hearing about that people can can put on their list and and uh, whenever we have them, we'll add them to the show notes too, won't we, Brent Billings? Absolutely. Um, so bittersweet um, has been recognized in the same realm as things like Condé Nast and Wired and The New Yorker, which is super cool. Um, but it's also like this organization where you have volunteers contributing to the work and the mission. And so what, um, what's, if somebody has heard this conversation and shares your convictions, what, uh, what's a way that they can get involved with Bittersweet? Well, first of all, send us stories. I mean, be on the lookout, be the ears, be the, be the eyes in your community. And if there's an organization or a story that you think, um, fits within the Bittersweet editorial ethos and mission, then nominate it. Go to our website, click the nominate link. There's a little form. It takes 30 seconds. That would be huge. Um, secondly, read the stories, and then if you if they resonate with you, then please share it. We do rely on organic um, shares. We're not pumping you know tons of money to buy eyeballs or play a numbers game, but if it's meaningful, then I would hope that you would also share it with others and uh, spread the hope. Uh, separately, there's just the simple fact that we are a nonprofit, so donating is always welcome but I'd also prefer the sharing and the nominating even more than that. We get that. Um, And that's part of why we love to share all this stuff is that more people find it and we just get to keep discovering new things, great resources. That's part of why we do all these regular interviews in session six of the podcast is we can, we can do verse by verse through John. We can, we can study the Bible. That is what we do. But we also want to bridge the gra- that same gap between the abstract study of the text and the concrete living out of the kingdom. And it's one thing to just listen to a podcast and study and do the thing and have a discussion group. And it's another thing to, to like, it's harder work. It's more work to then get up and get hands dirty and figure out what we do with that, whether that's in the things that we support or and share or the the stories that we physically get involved in and participate in, or the new things that we create, um, and so we just want to share some of those things because it's it, these interviews will make somebody go that that was the thing I, I needed to hear in order for me to 
do whatever the next thing was. And so that's why we're having these conversations and it's, it's just so good and helpful and hopefully for everybody else that's true too. But okay. Is there anything else that people need to know? Anything else that you're super excited about? Anything, you know, any, this is it. This is what else does Kate Schmigal need to tell the world from our little platform and corner? What else? Well, everyone is a storyteller. And I think when we ask why story, that that is alone a really good question. And so um, I would want to offer just one one little nugget from Stanley Hauerwas where he says, story is the fundamental means of talking about and listening to God. The only human means available to us that is complex and engaging enough to make comprehensible what it means to be with God. And so as storytellers, every one of us carrying stories within ourselves and then also paying attention to the stories of others and the stories we perpetuate, in order to challenge the sweeping stereotypes and begin to dismantle that popular despair that we're tempted by, um, we need to counter confusion with wisdom and we need to counter numbness with empathy. We need more imagination in the face of fatigue And we need to be ready with conviction when we are tempted into cynicism. Mm. So my final exhortation, Marty, if I may, and you're welcome to cut this as well, but... Oh, you may. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians 4.8, I take very seriously, and it's it's definitely an anchor scripture for bittersweet work. And I'll read it from the message because it really just resonates for me in that translation. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. That is the hope of bittersweet. Man, you have spoken of Walter Brueggemann, Stanley Hauerwas, and Eugene Peterson all within the same 45-minute block. That is a good use of our time right there. <laughs> Can you read that? Read that, Stanley. Do you have that quote in front of you still? I do. Uh, Kate, read that, read that Hauerwas quote, quote one more time. Story is the fundamental means of talking about and listening to God the only human means available to us that is complex and engaging enough to make comprehensible what it means to be with God. Man, and not to make that, like, to sit in the poetry of that and the power of that, and and then to probably ruin it with a little bit of academia and Bible nerdiness. Like, isn't that what we learned from the scriptures, especially the Hebrew scriptures, is the power of telling story and Part of what we always continue to learn to try to deconstruct is how we take that and we systemize the theology and we create all the mechanics and we do all this stuff to it. And yet the more we build and the more we continue to construct and refine all the scaffolding, as we've called it in session six, the it, it doesn't actually increase our ability to communicate the complexity that Howard Voss talks about there in the story. Like story is one of the few things that can it's one of the few vessels and containers that can hold that and uh mm, amen and amen i like it uh yeah philippians 4 8 is one of my probably top three favorite passages 
and uh Ooh. it's even it's even good in the message i'll admit <laughs> yeah heck yeah the message has some bonkers wording sometimes uh but but yeah that was that was beautiful so thank you for sharing um well I've got a whole bunch of links that I'm going to put in the show notes uh, as far as how to find you. But if there's anything you want to call out specifically, Kate, on how people can get connected. Uh, the absolute best way is bittersweetmonthly.com to follow along in reading. And we do post to Instagram regularly, the stories and whatnot. And then our newsletter also would keep you up to date if you wanted to send us your email. We promise not to spam you. It's just once a month. Perfect. I love the once a month format. Not, not that we do anything like that, but, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Uh, it has been absolutely wonderful conversation and, uh, yeah, for any listeners, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB and you can find more details about the show at bayamontasipeshub.com. Check out all the links. We've got all the books and all the other things that we talked about, um, including future books. We'll get those links in the show notes. If you're listening to this later on, check the notes for all of that stuff. So thanks for joining us on the Baywell podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Are you Canadian, by the way? No, but I was born and raised in Maine. So as close as you can get. Me. Okay. Okay. Cause I definitely was hearing a little bit in the out, out. and about. <laughs> Yep. I get that a lot. I kept drawing to, uh, I, I held myself back from saying anything. I'm like, that would be a total distraction from the content of our message. <laughs> I love it though. It warmed my heart every time.